Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here, and it's good to be back. Um, as we were gone, uh, we went to see my daughter, who is on the Navajo Indian Reservation, and so she was out west, and so, you know, we drove 40, 44 hours, 40, something like that, um, 44 hours worth of driving. That was fun. Um, but uh, we made it back and uh, grateful for you guys and the church. I don't like missing, honestly. It, it bothers me not to be around my church family and uh, to be gone. And it's just one of those things where a lot of things are going on and we wanted to go visit her. I had some great opportunities to minister to people, especially the students that she's there with. So she's there with a number of college students that are serving, teaching in the schools there on the reservation and got to have some great conversations with them. And um, it was just a... It was a refreshing time for Susan and I. I, I kind of jokingly told the guys, I, I kind of started a book on my way back. I wrote a title and um, a bunch of chapter headings to a book. Um, you know, when you're driving, you know, 20 hours, you got time on your hands and Susan was sleeping or on her phone. So I came up with all these titles and wrote them down. It's probably, I'll probably never write it, but it was kind of fun to think through and like, wow, yeah, that's, that's good as I drove from the reservation and came back. Um, we are continuing in our series in the cross. Uh, that's the name of our series. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, if you're joining us online, you can open up or go to your phone and pull up 1 Corinthians. We are going to be in chapter 11. Um, you know, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at different things. The theme of our cross series comes from 1 Corinthians 1.18, where God has Paul write this. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's God's power to us who are being saved. Now that verse, it's important all the time. It is the theme of what Paul's trying to say. But this week, as we look at chapter 11, it's kind of like Paul comes back to this full circle in a big way. Um, and 1 Corinthians, if you didn't know, is a book that we've put off preaching. We preach through the Bible. We've only got about, I think, 14 or 13 books left to preach through. And then we will have preached through every uh, book of the Bible and almost every scripture. We skipped a few genealogies, but preached through the word. We want to equip people with the word. And 1 Corinthians is a book I've tried to avoid, to be honest, because I know the weightiness and the heaviness of it. And not that there aren't other things in other books, but it's like 1 Corinthians is just so jam-packed. And that's what we've looked at over the last several weeks. We started with the cross. Paul talks about foolishness versus understanding, wisdom. Spiritual people, being found faithful, having sincerity and truth, settling disputes, single, singleness and marriage, um, the idols of yesterday and today, which Brian spoke on. We have the right, which I speak, spoke on out of chapter 9, and then Luke last week talking about questions of conscience. And Paul has been walking through, breaking down this idea of what does it look like to live in the midst of the cross? What does it look like to believe that dying is a good thing, that dying is actually a necessary thing, and it's a necessary process to get us ready to actually live forever. Because that's just so foreign, because we live in a world, we just came out of a pandemic, where everybody's just fighting to stay alive. The idea of surrendering yourself to serve others, to die, is a foreign concept. Although we expected a lot of people, while we were safe in our homes, to surrender their lives so that we could live. Truckers, 
First responders, doctors, nurses, right? And we kind of figured out what things were really essential. And we haven't recovered from that yet. It's still hitting us. It's still a mess. We're still afraid. We're still living in fear. And the cross is the solution to that. The cross is the thing that says, the Son of God came into the world and he didn't get out alive. Your God came and showed you how to live and how to die well. And that is a hard message. Like, it's like, ah, you know? And, and so that's what we're looking at. Now this week, where Paul picks up in chapter 11, after he's kind of walked through some of the issues, the questions that they've been having, he, he starts to answer a couple of other questions. And he's wrapping up some of the questions that they're asking. And one of the questions that they ask, and we can't make this up. This happens all the time when we preach through the Bible, just so you know. Every time we preach through Scripture, it's amazing to me how something happens in culture the week that we're covering that passage of Scripture. Like this week, if, unless you were buried under a rock, which is fine if you were, because sometimes it's a good place to be. Because I didn't have internet or Wi-Fi where we were at in New Mexico for like four days. It was crazy. Like it was, it was really nice, but it was nuts. Right? So every time we'd climb a mountain, we'd pull out our phones and be like, oh, I can send a text because we're on top of a mountain because we did some climbing. It was pretty crazy. And so with 1 Corinthians, and when you look at what Paul's doing and what he's unpacking in this chapter 11, it's amazing to me that this week our Supreme Court justice was asked, nominee was asked, what is a woman? And her answer was, I'm not a biologist. And this week... We're going to dive into chapter 11, and Paul's going to say some things that, I'll just be honest with you, require you to die. If you're a woman, it requires you to die. If you're a man, it requires you to die. And we don't like it, because we don't like death. We don't want to give up our rights. We don't want to give up our idols and the things that we're living for and chasing and that we want that prove our worth, that show people we're valuable. We don't want to give those things up in light of faith in who Christ is and the fact that there is a resurrection that's coming that I can be confident in. And so this week, what Paul says to the hearers is he says, imitate me. Imitate me. How many of you would be comfortable saying that? That you are so confident in your walk with Christ that you could look at another believer and say, hey, just watch me. Because God is so at work here, it's amazing. Like, and if you are comfortable saying that, as Paul says, be careful that you don't fall, right? <laughs> like, be careful that you're not prideful in saying that. But see, if we're imitating the cross and dying to self, that's an easy thing to imitate. But see, we don't want to imitate those things. We want to imitate all the success and look at what we can do and all the beautiful. We don't want to imitate what Jesus did, coming as a poor boy, living 18 years with just being obedient to his parents and growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man and never doing anything significant in terms of the world, never traveling more than 200 miles away from home. I mean, I traveled 1,500 miles one way. Jesus never traveled 200 miles away from his home in his lifetime. Never visited a major Roman city. Never went to D.C. Saw the sights. 
and this is our Savior, this is a significant person, and then he was crucified. I mean, if you think about it for a minute, this idea of imitating me really does bring the question to ourselves is, what is imitation? Well, imitation is how we do life, right? It's how all of life is built. Imitation is how all of life is built. What do you desire to be like? There's things you desire to be like. There are people that you watch, celebrities or friends or family or whatever. Like, there are things that you look at, and and the original sin was what? Satan telling people, desire to be like God. You should be like a God. God's holding out on you. He's not giving you the real life, the life you really deserve. He's not giving you any of the glory. You need to get in on some of that. And the way to do that is to do the one thing God said not to do. Because if you do that, then that will make you God. Because you'll show him. So don't imitate God and don't obey him and don't submit to him. No, 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 no. You need to tell God what to do. And if you do that, I'm telling you, you'll understand. You'll have knowledge and understanding that you won't believe. And they did. They got knowledge and understanding that they couldn't believe. And we still can't believe it today. We have now got knowledge and understanding about the world and the brokenness and what sin really did and marred that we still won't believe. And God wanted to keep them from that knowledge. Someday we'll be back with him and that knowledge will be gone. But see, if you don't believe that imitation is the highest form of how we learn and how we do life, then why do they pay celebrities so much for every commercial? Why don't they just advertise how great their product is and just show scientific evidence with math charts and give you a QR code to download all the scientific experiments and math charts that show you it's exactly what they say it is? Because you won't look at it. Because you don't care if it's right. You just care if it works and you want somebody really important to tell you it works. So they'll pay an advertiser and pay celebrities billions of dollars because they know it works on us. And Paul knows it works, which is why he's telling the church, you're going to have to imitate me. Do you realize that your genes in your body imitate? They replicate. And when genes don't replicate, rep, replicate properly... That's a sign that something's broken. Something is wrong. You learn to talk. You learn to do life by what? Watching. Most of your learning is done by seeing. It is. It's why we're struggling in our schools right now, where Malia is the number of kids who are having speech problems because of what COVID has gone through and what has happened is off the charts. Now, you can argue whether it's right or wrong. I'm not making that argument this morning. I'm just telling you, imitation is really important. It's really how we do life. It's the body of Christ that's supposed to imitate Christ to the world, so the world says, that's different. That looks like Jesus. But we don't, if we're really honest, if I'm really honest with you guys, most of the time, I don't want to look like Jesus. And that hurts me to say that. But it's true. Because Jesus didn't win in an earthly way in the end. He's going to someday, but not the way we think. See, our willingness to imitate clearly exposes what we really want and believe. It clearly exposes it. 
And you know what? We have the Bible to know who and what to imitate, but often we don't look at it. We want to look to the created rather than the creator. Romans 1 says this. Paul starts out in Romans 1 and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So Paul brings up the cross again. He talks about it all the time. The idea of dying is getting power makes no sense. That's why they rejected Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to die, and everyone rejected him because they're like, well, that's not how you get power. That's how you get dead. It's hard to lead when you're buried. I mean, that's just duh. I mean, (laughs) I've never said it. I mean, even, even in zombie movies, the zombies don't lead, they just eat everything. So even the walking dead don't lead well, right? And so it's this idea that, that this idea that the cross actually leads to something good, that I, I'm supposed to imitate what Jesus did in going to the cross for sinners who rejected him, who didn't love him, who didn't care. Oh, and he called them out along the way and confronted them. Not just like, hey, I'm dying for you and I love you. I hope you just believe it. No, he, he confronted and called out people. He goes on, he says, for in the cross, God's righteousness, his rightness, the right way to do things, the thing to imitate is revealed from the faith of the Old Testament all the way to the faith that will come. All of faith is boiled down to whose life is your life. Is it God's life or do you claim your own life because that's the original sin? And he says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness, the refusal of people to imitate God of people who by their own righteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. God has made all of this very evident to us. We can see it. We can imitate it. We can understand things. He made it very evident by sending Jesus to prove and show what it looks like to be a human and be God in one. And we reject that. He even shows through his invisible attributes, Paul says, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Can I just tell you, driving across the country and seeing creation makes you feel really small. When you're driving through West Texas and New Mexico and you don't see a home for miles, I mean miles, And it is flat. Flattest place I've ever been. And I grew up in the flattest county in Indiana. And it's the flattest place I've ever been. And then you, just these mountains pop out of nowhere, out of the ground. You're like, how the heck did that get there? Like it's flat and all of a sudden, boom, a big giant mountain. You're like, well, that's different. I mean, God has revealed that just that, Look at what, what's been painted. Look at what's been created. And you, you go, that's chance? If the earth is just off a little bit on his axis, we're in trouble. If it's a little bit closer to the sun, a little bit further away, we don't exist. When you start to think through all of that, you either boil down to, oh, it's all just random so I can be my own God, or there is a creator that's trying to get his message out and I better figure out who he is. It's one of the two. Then he goes on and he says, It's being understood through what he's made, for they knew God. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. See, we don't show gratitude. Gratitude is imitation. 
I'm just so thankful I want to be like you, Dad. I want to be like you, Mom, because I'm just so grateful. If I could turn out to be anywhere close, oh, that'd be awesome. There's no, but instead they became nonsense. Claiming to be wise, they always claim to be wise, right? We always claim to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. I just came from the Navajo Indian Reservation where this is still going on today. I have, I have not been in a place of such extreme poverty and disaster and desolateness since I went to Juarez, Mexico in 1993. It is awful. They heat with coal there. And when I say heat with coal, you have to buy your coal at the market for your coal stove in a bag in America. And yet we're ungrateful for what we have. And God, you didn't give me this or you didn't give me that or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. And I go to a church with Malia, her church she found that's right behind the school. There's 14 people there, and we're four of the 14. We're singing in Navajo, which I can't sing in, and English too. And just the joy of the people. There's a little boy running around in the back, right? And he was trying to be good, and you could tell he was struggling. You know, he's probably like three or four. And he stayed in the service the whole time. And he'd run out. And he went outside once and then came back. I think the bathroom was outside. I didn't have to use it, so I never found it. I mean, to get to the church, you had to drive on a dirt road with giant potholes. Like, I don't know that our car could have got to the church, literally. Because there aren't roads that are paved. There's only one road paved in, and all the rest are dirt. And they're not gravel. They're dirt. Like, literally, they just drove out, and it's like people keep driving on the dirt, and that's the road now. That's where we were at. And these people, just the joy they had and the concern they had and the prayers they had for the people around them and their nation, that they didn't know Jesus. Their concern they had. They talked about their scholar, the one person they knew in their tribe that had gotten off the reservation and was going to college. One. One. Let me ask you, do you want to imitate what the world imitates? It's, it's ingratitude. It doesn't recognize God. It refuses to embrace the cross and die to self. Or do you want to embrace what God says about the cross? It's interesting because after service, the little boy, we turned around to his grandma and his mom. We said, we said wow, he did, he did really well. Like that, he's, it was a long service too. You think our service is long? <laughs> You're, nah, that's funny. So we're there like two hours, two, two hours and 15 minutes. I mean, and, and so I turned around to a little boy. I said, man, you did. And he was in there the whole time. And he said, he looked at us. He goes, he goes I didn't want to get spanked. <laughs> he goes, if I didn't act right, I know I'd get spanked. Like, and so... He still has joy and he smiles when he says it. You know what I mean? But he like, he understands, you ready for this? The consequences of sin. That I, I came here and my parents are trying to teach me how to be an adult in church, how to sit, how to sing, how to listen, how not to just be my own little God and, and rule everyone around me, but be submissive to what's happening here. And I know if I don't, there's a cross waiting for me. 
It motivates me to be good. And he just came up and talked to us, and he was so excited. And I mean, just joy. And I just thought to myself, like, where is that today? And these people have nothing. Nothing. Paul goes on to say this. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then he says, therefore, God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts. The sexual immorality, so their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God, the truth of the cross, the truth of what God says for a lie. And they worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. See, Paul says, we have to be careful what we're imitating. We have to think about our life. He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 10. Luke shared this at the end last week. Therefore, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And then he says, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Is that your heart? This little boy didn't want to give an offense. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody in the church. I don't want to offend my mom and my grandma. And I know if I do offend them, they're going to let me know I offended them because they love me. He goes on, he says, give no offense, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, that's huge, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. And the only way to be saved is through the cross. It's not through providing everything for them, it's through getting them to see that everything they have isn't theirs, it's God's. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 11. This is how he says it. Imitate me. And then he clarifies, as I also imitate Christ. See, that's critical. I've told my kids numerous times as they've grown up and as they're on their own now, like, do the things that we did that are biblical that you know, like you read the scripture, like, yeah, mom and dad did that. The other things go get counseling for. That's what we've told our kids. Like, get, get a good disciple or a good mentor and, and get help. Be in the body of Christ, be in a church, because you're going to need help for the ways that we struggled. And, and I hope that you'll die to yourself to figure that out and allow other people to speak into your life to help you see clearly and help us see clearly where we can be better. Like, we've had that conversation with our kids all along. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, don't imitate the things that you see that might come for me that are bad, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. What did Christ do? He gave up his life for us. Paul's getting ready to write two things, and he's getting ready to write something that we don't want to give our life up to. Then he goes on and he says, now I praise you because you always remember me and keep the traditions just as I delivered them. And this is, this is critical. Paul says, look, Sometimes we just have to imitate. You don't need to know, is it in the Bible or not? Like, this is just what we do and why we do it and how we have to do it. Is it wrong to ask the question? No. But can I tell you, all we do in our culture today is break down every tradition and deconstruct everything until we have nothing. And that's where we are today. We have kids that are deconstructing their faith over and over again because that's all they've been taught to do. They haven't been taught to love the church. They haven't been taught to surrender their lives. They haven't been taught to give their lives to people who are sinners like Jesus did on the cross. Oh, no, no, no. They're wise. They're smart. They've got the knowledge. And so I've got to deconstruct all that instead of just giving my life to sinners who need a Savior. 
Jesus didn't come and deconstruct the temple. He didn't come and deconstruct everything. He didn't come and disobey the traditions on purpose. He didn't. Now, did he challenge some traditions? Yeah, sure he did. But he always reminded them the reason he was challenging it was because of the actual truth about the character of God, which we'll see in just a second. And he goes, look, just as I delivered them to you. You want to know something? There is nothing worse than having someone tell you, like a parent, when you ask why, and they tell you, because I told you so. There is nothing worse to our pride, to our arrogance, to our desire to push away the cross and live for us and have the knowledge and have, there is nothing worse than than saying, well, why do I have to do that? Because I'm your dad. Do it. Oh, oh, how dare you not answer my questions? How dare you stand up to me? Do you know who I am? I'm free. I'm free as old. Like, that, but that's our heart before God, right? And Paul's like, look, he says, I commend you that at least you remember me and at least you're arguing about the traditions I get. At least I'm getting questions from you because you guys are at least trying to say, hey, there are people who aren't doing what you asked them to do, Paul, and we're trying to figure out why they don't do it and they got these spiritual reasons, but they're not really spiritual. So Paul goes on because he's trying to address these Decisions, and let's just be honest, imitation's pretty boring. We want something new, right? Gotta come up with something new. He goes on and he says this. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Amen, let's pray. I'll just leave you with that. You can sit on it. Couldn't be more of a controversial statement in our culture than this one sentence. Why? Because God has delivered us over to our sexual cravings. We just read that in Romans. He has finally just said, fine, have what you want. Because that's the only way by experiencing killing yourselves that you're going to wake up and realize that there's someone who wants to resurrect you. Because death is inevitable. And so out of his great mercy, he turns us over to ourselves, not because he's angry and shooting lightning bolts. Remember what we say all the time, for God to make things bad, he doesn't have to send storms and lightning bolts and earthquakes. All he has to do is this, I'm done, and take his hands off. For a three-year-old to die, all parents have to do is leave them alone and walk away. That's it. They can't survive. They don't know how to start fires in the fire. They don't know how to, they'll be dead soon unless someone else comes along and cares for them. God just says, fine, if you want what you want, have it. And remember that I'm here for you when you cry out. And he waits for our cry, and that's what parents do. A good parent will do the same thing. I've told you no, I've told you, fine, do it. Know that I love you. It's what the prodigal son and the, and the father did. The father said, here's your inheritance, go. And remember, I'm still here. And he woke up and came to his senses and he came back to the father. And he said, I'm a dead man. I'm a slave to you. I'm not even your son anymore. And the father said, no, 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 you are. Because now you get it. You get it now. See, that's the beauty. And so he says, and God goes, or Paul uses these timeless principles to bring about a decision about a cultural issue right here at the start of this. 
He says, I want you to imitate, and the hardest way, and the way this starts is imitating Christ and imitating in terms of male and female. There's nothing more problematic. And Romans goes on to say, the men exchanged right relationships with females, and females exchanged right relationships with one another to do what they wanted and to use one another. And that's where we are as a culture today. We refuse to believe what God says in his word about sexuality, about gender, about who he is. Matter of fact, we're going to address this more deeply at our next FX Unfiltered. The next FX Unfiltered we're going to have, we're going to take this head on. So this is kind of a little bit of a test because we know that many of you are dealing with this. And he goes on and he says, Paul says, the traditions we have laid out are biblical. He says, look, I'm trying to, to show you that not all traditions are bad. We need traditions. We, we need processes in our lives. There are mysteries of God, but then there are just certain practices we need to do. And there are two things, two traditions Paul's going to talk about in this passage. Male headship, okay, the idea that men are at the lead, and second is the Lord's Supper. And in both of those, in the first one, he goes all the way back to the beginning of creation to back up his point. He doesn't use culture. He goes back to the beginning of creation and says, this is how God established it from the beginning. Now argue with me. Wow. And on the Lord's Supper, he goes all the way back to the beginning where Jesus instituted and took the Passover and made it fully point to himself and the cross. That's what he does. And when the word head is used here, just so you know, when the word head, there's a couple of different words that can be used here, but when the word head is used here, Paul's actually talking about the thing on your noggin, right here, right, right on your neck. You know the thing that has your brain, your eyesight, your smell, your taste, your hearing, the entire command center, that's what he's talking about. John the Baptist got his head cut off and brought on a platter because the person that did it wanted to be sure he was dead. If you want to be sure someone's dead, you cut their head off. You're absolutely certain they're dead when you cut their head off. And you hold, it's, it's not connected anymore. The problem is we've been cutting ourselves off from the head for a long time. And we refuse, we refuse to surrender our noggins, our senses, our sight, our smell, our ears, our taste. We refuse to surrender that to God the way he wants it to be surrendered. Do you know how many food laws there are in the Old Testament? Why? I mean, can't we just figure it out? Well, number one, God doesn't want you to die from stuff. That's a good thing. So he warns you about foods to eat and things to do. He also doesn't want you to become selfish with your food and lazy and I mean, we're talking about food shortages now. We're talking about high food prices coming up. Why? Because we don't grow our own food anymore. Now, should we all just go get gardens? I don't know. I'm not. We tried that. It was very bad. If I had to, I guess I could make it work, but I'd rather just figure out a way to buy groceries. You know what I mean? He goes on and he says, I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. Here's why this is important. In the original curse of Genesis, after Adam and Eve choose not to do what they were called to do, Adam was supposed to be the head of the garden, the head of his wife. And as the head, he was to lay down his life. And instead, if you read the story, Adam watches while the serpent tempts Eve because he wants to see what will happen. And that's what men have been doing ever since. 
Instead of picking up their cross and following Jesus and giving their life to others and giving their life to the world, giving their life to their wives and their children, they're constantly looking to how to have a hobby and take life for themselves. To build their man cave where they can disappear and get away from the cross. That's at the core of man from Genesis. To reject what God said and to see what happens. The woman is tempted. She eats. She gives to her husband. Adam had another chance to say, nope, not doing that. Some scholars believe had he done that, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. But he did. He took it and he ate it. He went right along with it. He did not fulfill his role as the head. And he allowed his wife to be led by someone else. Can I just tell you, Christ refuses to let his bride be led by someone else. And that's why it's so offensive to us. Because he stands up in opposition and he says, no, do not do that. Do not eat that. Don't go there. And when we do, he gives his life to be restored. Unlike Adam, who said, the woman you gave me, God, you're going to have to do something about her. Adam could have walked out of the garden naked and said, I, it was, it's me, God. I, I, I own this, and I deserve to die for what we've done. I should have protected. I should have done this, and I didn't, so I, I surrender. That wasn't his heart. It's not our heart. He could have imitated what he saw about God, but he didn't. So in Genesis, it says this. He said to the woman, I will intensify your label. This is the curse he gives. I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. That That phrasing there is really important. Number one, it's the idea that she's going to desire to lead her husband, and in response, the husband's going to rule her with an iron fist. That's the curse. You're going to desire to want to get your husband to do what you want, and your husband isn't going to try to love you and be patient with you and care for you. He's just going to beat you into submission. That's what that means there. It doesn't mean your desire will be for your husband like you're going to desire him sexually and you're going to want him all the time. Let me tell you, there isn't a man on the planet that wouldn't love that. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. Okay? That's not what God's talking about in the context of this curse. That's what they had in Eden. They were, they were one together with, with no opposition. They, they, that's not what he's talking about. Then he says, and he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. Listen, that doesn't mean we don't listen to our wife's voices. Please. We don't listen to people who are telling us to sin. Yes. Right? We we need to listen to our wives. See that later. It says, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. He says, the ground is cursed. You want to know why your life doesn't work out very well? Because the ground's cursed. The whole earth's cursed. You know why your computer breaks down? Jason says this all the time. You know why your computer and your iPhone don't work? Because copper's cursed. So is silver. So is gold. So is glass. Sand. It's all cursed. It all breaks. It all turns to dust. That's our world. Now, do we believe that message? And if we do, what's our response to it? Is it the cross? Isaiah says this. In Isaiah 3, Isaiah, this is the beginning of Isaiah prophesying against the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. 
And Isaiah is trying to warn them and get them to stop and repent and come back to God. And in chapter 3, Isaiah says, observe this. The Lord God of hosts is about to remove from Jerusalem and from Judea every kind of security. God's getting ready to do this. I'm done. I, I cannot deal with this. Have what you want. If you don't want me, that's fine. Have what you want. He's going to remove all security. In verse 4 it says, I will make youths their leaders and the unstable will govern them. That's a curse, folks. That's not a blessing. And we're all about trying to get young people to lead and more young people and more young people. And God says, watch out if that's your heart. Be very careful. Be very careful. Because young people don't know how to die yet. They think they're going to live forever. And you need some old people that can humble them and say, listen, (laughs) slow down, (laughs) pause. You're holding me back. No, I'm not. I I love you. He goes on to say, the people will oppress one another, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The youth will act corruptly towards the elder. No regard for authority. I'm my own authority. I will lead my life. I will show you. I will prove. That's our whole world. No care for parents. No care for grandparents. No care for the others. And then he says, and the worthless toward the honorable. A man will even seize his brother in his father's house saying, you have a cloak, you be our leader. This heap of rubble will be under your control. That is exactly what we do. That is, that is imitation to a T. Wow, you look better than dad. You, you look pretty good here. Have this cloak to wear that shows you have authority and you lead. What am I leading? That pile of rubble over there when we don't have anything else. And we're all struggling to get some kind of pile of rubble for our life. Do you realize your house is going to be a pile of rubble someday? Like, we, there's people getting paid lots of money to do archaeology. You know what that is? Digging up people's homes. <laughs> Cities that have been buried and gone. They're just rubble. He goes on and he says, Youths oppress my people, and women rule over them. My people, your leaders mislead you. They confuse the direction of your paths. This is a curse. And he says, one of the signs of the curse is that the youths who should be supporting the elders, that should be looking to give their lives, are now oppressing. And then he says, another sign will be that women are the ones that are ruling because the men will no longer step up and lead. Anytime you see women leading in Scripture, it means something is broken. It doesn't mean it's evil. It just means something is broken. Because originally what Paul says, when man was created, Adam was supposed to be the one who laid down his life and killed the serpent and took care of it. That's why God said he was going to raise up someone, not of Adam's line, because Jesus was born from the Father, from the Holy Spirit. He was going to raise up someone who would crush the head of the serpent that wasn't from the, the, the line of Adam, but from the line of God himself that he was actually going to risk his life and crush the enemy. Unlike Adam, who refused. And so anytime in a culture where you see young people and women leading, it's a sign that something is broken. And anytime you see older people, 
right, that aren't caring, truly caring for and disciplining and doing the right things towards youth and women, it's a sign that they're confusing the path that God has. And Paul goes back and he says there is an order. And let me just tell you this. This order that Paul's talking about flows from the character of God himself. Listen, if you don't get anything else this morning, this is probably the most important point. God in his essence is a family. See, what we do is we kind of treat God like the Greeks do. Right? The Greeks, and the reason there was so much misteaching in Corinth and confusion is because what the Greeks would do, or what the people would do, is they'd say, well, there's Zeus, and then Zeus created this God, and then this God created this God, and then these two gods got together and created this God, and they created all these gods from Zeus. So I can be a God. God says... There's already a heavenly family that's interacting. That's why everything in our world's interconnected, and it's why he created male and female, and they have children. It is a picture of the character of God. It is the Trinity. It is who he is in his essence and his being. And any time we go against that, we are literally giving the finger to God and to who he is in his character. And it breaks his heart. And it causes him to be angry. Because, listen, the Holy Spirit's job, you can bet, the Holy Spirit's job in Scripture is to give all the glory to who? Who? Jesus. Jesus' job in Scripture, from what he tells us, is to give all the glory to who? What did he tell us in all the Gospels? His job was to give all the glory to who? The Father. And the Father says, I give all my glory to who? The Son. And the Son says, I'm sending one who's going to come to, to bring glory in your life and in your heart, which is who? Three distinct persons in three distinct ways and revelations, but one unified glory. One God. And the reason this stuff is so important, and if we get this wrong, it matters, is because it goes right to the character of God and God's willingness to never take glory from the Father, to never take glory from the Son, to never take glory from the Holy Spirit. That's what Satan did. Satan wanted to take not the glory he had as an angel, he wanted it on some other glory. Out of his lane, he wanted to get into the other lane, and God's like, that ain't your lane, this is your lane. And we're the same way. And our job, you ready? Our job is to glorify. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to bring the glory of God into our lives so that we glorify who? Jesus. This isn't rocket science. And then as we glorify Jesus, Jesus says he takes that glory, he takes that repentance, he takes those prayers, and he delivers them to who? The Father. And then the Father says, great job, son. Here's all my glory back again. What a picture, and Paul is arguing here, that's exactly what God wants in your marriage. It's what he wants in our churches. That it's not about, well, I'm a man and I lead and you submit and all that. No, it's we are working for the glory of God, but we have distinct roles that we need to live in and be careful. And if we get out of that, it says something about the fact that we won't imitate what God's asked us to imitate. Something's broken. He goes on and says this, every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. 
But every woman who prays or prophesies with, some, with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that's the, that is the one and the same in having her head shaved. So if a woman's head is not covered, her hair should be cut off. But if it, but if it is disgraced for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, she should be covered. So you guys... Women, you did not come in with a head. Oh, Isabel, you're set today. Nice job. All the rest of you are having a shaving ceremony right after the service because your heads aren't covered for, you know. Oh, sorry, Annie, good job. What is Paul talking about here? Paul's talking about headship, remember, authority. And in this culture, the only, the women that didn't cover themselves were the thousands of prostitutes to the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. For you to not cover yourself was to make a statement of feminism to the world. It was to make a statement to the world that I don't have to submit to anybody. I can actually get the men to pay me for what I got. And Paul says, if that's your attitude, and you could, so in the church, we came up with this tradition in Corinth because we want you to be a different person out into the world. That when the world sees you walking with a veil on as a woman in Corinth, they're asking themselves, why don't you walk without a veil? You'll get a lot more money and a lot more attention if you just walk without a veil on. And your response in those situations would be, because I'm the glory of God covered, waiting for him to reveal my glory to the one he brings me. Now, the one he brings you is Jesus first, not a husband. And so Paul writes this and he says, look, the reason we've given you this rule that you think is stupid in this church in this time in Corinth, the reason we've given it to you is it goes all the way back to the beginning of headship, male and female. And so the man doesn't cover his head. Why? Now, does it mean that it's a disgrace for a man to have, like, oh, if he has long hair, you know, that's just terrible. Uh, John the Baptist? John the Baptist was a Nazarene, which means he never cut his hair. So Paul can't be talking about a timeless principle of hairstyle. That's not what Paul's talking about. He is saying we had to come up with a tradition to deal with the questions and the problems where you live. And that tradition we came back goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and how God's established, like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how he's established the family, how he's established man and women in their lanes. And so I'm appealing to you on that. And that's why we, this is exactly why parents say, I'm your dad, just do it. Because you have to go into an explanation this crazy to try to explain to people about head coverings. Just put a hat on. Oh, you got to prove to me why I should wear a hat. My gosh. Okay, wear a hat so you don't look like a prostitute. Well, that's not biblical. I, I mean, I should be able to just walk around and people should just be, accept the fact that I'm not a prostitute. How about you think about covering yourself because that's how God designed from the beginning is for this to look this way. I mean, that's what Paul has to do. And it goes back to, did God really say? Because that's what Satan tempted them with. It goes on, it says, in fact, a man should not cover his head because he is God's image and glory, but woman is man's glory. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. And man was not created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. The angels are always in their lane of authority. The angels look down from heaven, they minister. 
He's like, these angels, they, they obey God, except the ones that have fallen away. He says, in the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and a man is not independent of woman. Duh. How did you get here? Because some man said, I don't want to be independent. And some woman said, I don't want to be independent either. And they got together and made you. Paul's like, so don't think that it's like one's better than the other. You can't even do anything if the two of you don't come. There's no life. There's, no, that's not the issue. He goes, but when you start to see yourself as independent, I don't need you and what the gifts that you have and what you bring to the table and how God's designed and created you and I don't need you or I'm going to become like a man or I'm going to become like a woman because that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to prove something. He says, that's when you know you're getting out from underneath the authority of God and you're taking your own authority and you've got to be real. Really careful with that. Be careful. Because that's how Eden went down. The Garden of Eden and the original sin were men and women not taking their roles. Eve's responsibility was to go ask Adam and to go ask God. Adam's responsibility was to go and protect his wife and ask Jesus. At any moment, they could have looked at the serpent and said, you're a talking snake. We've never seen that before. You're asking us to do something God doesn't want us to do. We don't believe you. Give us a moment while we go talk to him. Eve could have said that. Adam could have said that. And both of them just stood there and participated with the serpent. And it's what we do today. And in marriage, Paul is saying, there's other passages that we'll get into on the FX Unfiltered. There are other passages that talk about this in a very crucial way. And remember, in Ephesians, Paul tells the husband, what is the husband's role? To die for his bride. Why is that the husband's role? Because Jesus died for his bride. That's what headship looks like. What's the woman's role? To submit to her husband's death. That's why the first ministry in Acts was a widow and orphan ministry because men were submitting to the cross, dying for their faith, and the church had to figure out how to care for the widows and orphans that were being produced because men were actually breaking the curse of Adam and they were glorifying God and being killed for it. It says... For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. Oh, by the way, all things come from God. <laughs> it's all God's. And he goes on and he says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Like John the Baptist had long hair, but that was considered a disgrace. He was that weird Nazarene. It wasn't like, hey, let's all go get hair like John the Baptist. So Paul is explaining culturally, and then he says, but if a woman has long hair, it's her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. My grandmother had hair until she was in her 80s, mid-80s, that went all the way down to her ankles. I can remember as a kid combing her hair. Like, and just being amazed by it. Like, this thing is like a horse mane. Like, it was just amazing. Like, and she would tie it up in a bun and put it on top of her head. and Like, it was just... Now, does that mean if you don't have long hair or whatever? No. But you want to know something else that Paul's talking about? In nature, he says, naturally, women's hair typically goes 
long and stays long. Do you want to know what naturally happens to men's hair as they get older? Thank you, Greg. Michael, look right there. Look at that. Come on now. That is the natural progression of men. Men's hair tends to thin over their lifetime. Some women have that too, but but by and large, nature itself kind of says, this is kind of how it goes most of the time. It's this picture of like, hey guys, you need to keep your head uncovered. You don't, don't need to get hair plugs. You don't need to use spray paint to show that like you're dying. You're getting older. It's breaking down to show that you're trusting in God and the cross. Wow. See, Paul is laying this out in a way that just beautifully points back to the character of God and the cross. Then he goes on, he says, but if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. You can argue all you want, but this is what we've made the decision to do, right or wrong. This is what we're going to do. We've got to hold people to a standard. We can't just say whatever you want, whatever you want. This is the decision we've made. We've tried to make it based on the, the, the visibility of God and the Bible itself and what God's revealed all the way back. We've done our best to make a decision. Now, here's the question. Paul's saying to this First Corinthian church, will you submit to it or not? Will you be led by God and by us, or will you fight it? And if you're going to fight it, that shows something in your own heart. Because what we're doing isn't something that's like evil or wicked. We're not asking you to sin. We're just asking you to cooperate with one another to reveal something beautiful about the character and the Trinity and the family of God. He goes on and he says, Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. (laughs) How'd you like Paul to say that? Like, I just wish they'd stop meeting. He does say that. God says that many times in the Old Testament. I just wish you'd stop sacrificing in the temple. I wish you'd just close it down. Because he's just so frustrated. That's what Paul says. He goes, there is something I'm telling you. Like, he goes, for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. In part, I believe it. And then he goes on to say, there must indeed be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. This is critical. Paul says there will always be divisions and factions in the church. And the reason for that is so that you can see the people that are submissive to the head of God and those that just keep running for the next person to be in charge of their life. That stings. It's supposed to. And Paul says the reason these factions are going to be in the church, the reason these divisions are going to continue to exist just like they were when Jesus was on earth, Jesus says Jesus caused divisions wherever he went. That's what the scriptures say. Constantly causing divisions. Right divisions, not wrong ones, right divisions. And Paul said, how can you expect anything different in the church? And the purpose of Jesus causing divisions was to get people to see, do you believe I'm the Son of God? Do you believe I'm the head of the world? Do you believe I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords? If not, you're on the wrong side. And that's exactly what Paul says. He goes, we... These divisions are there to show who's really in and who really is willing to die for the bride, the church, and who just runs to the next bride when it gets hard. Ouch! Then he says, there must indeed be factions among you. Therefore, when you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper at this time was not a little wafer and not a little thing of wine. 
okay? This was a full meal. It was the Passover Seder meal of the Old Testament, plus probably like a, like a huge potluck, okay? That's what this was. That, that's what this meal was. For the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others, so one person is hungry while others get drunk. In other words, people would bring their potluck meal, and then they would be sure to set off what they brought for them and their family, because I got to get a piece of my cream pie, sugar cream pie that I brought, because it's my sugar cream pie. And, and if I don't get a piece of sugar cream pie, I'm not going to be a happy camper, because that's what Susan made for my birthday. I have two at home right now. Oh, and I'm savoring. I'm just eating like one slice every hour. And, and so, I mean, okay, so, so like, like, but if you eat smaller slices, you feel better about yourself. You know what I mean? If you just space it out. So, like, I got to get that. Piece. So what they were doing is they were coming together and their mentality wasn't, I'm coming to bring food for everyone else. I'm coming to fellowship. I'm coming to celebrate. I'm coming to participate in the Trinity and in the fellowship and the beauty and the glory of a family. And I get to bring something to the family. It's like, yeah. I don't want Susie over there. She always takes three pieces of my pie. I'm going to get a piece of pie before Susie gets one because I know how Susie is. He's like, that's, you guys are literally coming to commune with God and to fellowship with God and these are the thoughts running through your head and then nobody's confronting it. Nobody's, nobody's, like, can you imagine someone looking at you and you set off a piece of your pie and they're like, why are you doing that? Like, you came to a potluck here and they saw you cut off and put it off to the side and you're like, dude, why are you doing that? They weren't doing that in Corinth. They were just letting people do their own thing. And then they would eat in clicks. So they're getting their little click to eat, right? And if someone came in and were like, hey, could I eat with you guys? They're like, oh, well, we're kind of, we're kind of a family here. We're, we really like each other. And you smell. So you can go eat with them. And Paul's like, this is not the body of Christ. This isn't what Christ came to do. He goes, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God, and embarrass those who have nothing. What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. I do not praise you for this. If you want to eat a piece of your pie before you come, great. Cut a piece of pie out and keep it at home. Eat at home first. Eat a piece before you come. But don't come to the body and then make all these rules and, and you're thinking about selfishness in yourself. Imitate Christ and what he did when he came, he gave everything. Then he goes on, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. It's for everybody. If I don't get any, that's fine. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, look at what he says. Underline this, mark it. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the cross. You imitate the cross. Others will eat before I do. My bread is to do the will of my Father. My food is to do the will of my Father, Jesus said. Oh, that's hard. Especially when it's sugar cream pie. Or for Brian when it's steak. That's, I gotta be sure I get a piece. Okay, I'd be really sad if I don't. Paul's looking and he's saying, look, who are you remembering in that moment? Yourself, your desires, your wants. 
That's not what Jesus was thinking about when he offered the bread in his own body and his own blood. He goes on, he says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, he's not just talking about Jesus' body, he's talking about if you are eating and drinking all the time and you don't recognize your need for community and the body of Christ and the church and it's all about you, eats and drinks judgment on himself. If it's all about taking care of you and your family and yours, you don't get it. He's getting ready to go into chapter 12, 13, and 14 and talk about the body of Christ and spiritual gifts. And that's why he says body here, because he's setting up what he's getting ready to talk about. And then he says, this is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we are properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. God disciplines his children. He disciplines his children because he loves us, just like that little boy running in the back of the church. Learning how to imitate, how to do worship and love God and sing and listen and care for the people around him instead of being the center of attention in the room. He was learning that. And Paul says, you've got to understand that if you're properly evaluating, then you don't have to be afraid of judgment. If you're trying to make good judgments, if you're saying, well, I think this is what we need to do, then you don't need to have fear. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. So when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. So that you don't come selfishly thinking, oh, I can't wait to eat. Instead of, I can't wait to spend time with God and spend time with family and share something. Even if all I have to share is myself. Because God created me the way he created me. And that's what Paul's getting ready to say in chapter 12, 13, and 14. And then he says, and I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. I love this. Paul says, and I know you want me to tell you a bunch of other stuff. I got time. I'll tell you when I come. Now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. And he begins to talk about spiritual gifts. Let me ask you this morning. Jesus submitted to all authority. He wasn't afraid to call authority out because they weren't imitating God's authority. There are so many times that Old Testament rules are about simple things just to test our motives. Let me ask you, how are you right now in intimidating, in imitating, instead of intimidating, imitating Christ? If people around you, if your children, would they look at you and say you imitate Christ, that you imitate headship? Your life is ordered so well under the authority of God, even if it's a mess, even if your life is a broken mess, that you still order yourself under the authority. Do you remember King David who was anointed as king and had to wait many, many, many years to become king and the other king was trying to kill him all the time and he wouldn't ever kill the other king? Because he said, it's not my authority, it's God's. Like the willingness to come under and live where you're at. And that is critical to understand because if you don't get that, you'll mess spiritual gifts all up. And you'll be going around showing off your spiritual gifts, not to give them to the body of Christ, not to be surrendered, not to pour yourself out, but you'll be going around doing your spiritual gifts to show off and get something, which is exactly what Paul's criticizing. And Paul says it starts with the basic biology God created you with and it goes from there. 
Because there is a basic character God has been created with in his trinity. So let me ask you this morning, have you surrendered to God? Have you surrendered to Christ's authority in your life because of what he did on the cross? And are you willing to pick up your cross and follow him and say, I'm done with my authority, me, me, me. I want to surrender to who God is and I want to give him all the glory and allow him his position of headship. And I want him then to teach me how to imitate who he's created me to be and imitate him. If that's your heart, you can pray right now and ask him, Lord, forgive me. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be judged. I deserve to be disciplined. But I recognize your grace and your mercy in my life. Now, for those of you who might be doing okay, you're you're finding yourself imitating Christ more and growing in your faith. Are you grateful for that? Or do you find that as a burden? Paul talks about having gratitude. Are you grateful that God is teaching you about how to give him authority? How to surrender your life to others? Or is it like, oh, I just got to do this again? Or is it like, no, I get to be like Christ. I get to be like God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in my own power. Man, if if that's not your heart, man, I I pray that it would be. And I, I pray that you would pray to God, help me to be grateful that I get to be under authority, that I get to submit to you and submit to the authorities of the world, Jesus, like you submitted to the point of death on a cross because you believed in a resurrection. And for those of you who may be stuck in Romans 1, not believing in God, can I just challenge you? Wake up. This world is broken People are hurting. It's a mess. And we have got to be the people of God. We've got to show people, like Paul is telling this First Corinthian church, we've got to show them that the cross is actually the path to salvation and life. And there's no better time to do it because people are, that panic and that fear of death is there. We can be the ones that communicate the hope of the world and the resurrection and the promise of heaven and a new life and new bodies that's coming one day. Oh, and by the way, a new marriage where the head will be Christ and we will all be under him without any divisions, without any factions, forever and ever and always. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just talk about you. Lord, thank you that Paul was bold enough to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ and In another passage, he talked about his sin. He talked about how wicked he was. He was the chief of sinners. He wasn't saying, imitate me because I'm awesome. He was saying, imitate me because the Holy Spirit is at work. And I just want you to see that. So Lord, I pray this morning that if anyone here has not trusted you as their Lord and Savior, if they've never said, you know what? I'm done chasing all the imitations out there in the world. I want to chase the real thing. I pray today would be the day they finally say, I'm done. And they would surrender to you and they would begin to allow you to produce in them what they can't produce on their own, which is your Christ likeness. And I pray that they would see that by doing that, they get to be a part of the heavenly family, giving glory to the Godhead, to the one supreme God in distinct, different ways. And so Lord, I thank you that that's how you've laid things out. And I know we've only touched the surface this morning, but I pray for those that are believers that we would find gratitude in believing these things. And unlike Adam and Eve saying, well, did God really say? We would even in our hearts say, yes, God did say, and I'm willing because I just want to be grateful. 
And so, Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you, and I pray that you would change our hearts so that we would be imitators of you for the world to see what it looks like to walk with you in your name.